Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everyone, welcome to the 275th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Ben Gendris, Colin Truby, Lena Green, and Andrew Gillespie. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlo. Today we've got Maureen Barucha back on the mic, our old pal. She's been very busy since we last caught up with her. She's got her new film, Golden Arm, out on VOD and also available on Blu-ray, etc. She's got a new podcast called Edith. That's tearing up the podcast charts. I don't know if you noticed, Oren, but like it's um oh, is it? It's yeah, it's it's uh, killing it. Um, very sick cool. of hearing of Maureen's success. Jeez, and she uh, shot some episodes of Crank Yankers as well as a show called Drama Club on Nickelodeon. All sorts of great stuff. So it's a great conversation with our old pal Maureen Barucha. Check out Edith. Check out Golden Arm. Check out the 30 other projects that she'll have released by the time we uh, air this episode. <laughs> yeah. No, what I love about Maureen is she's just like so excited about every project, like whether it's a puppet show or a podcast or a feature film, like she's the type of person that brings the same energy to like a big job as she does to a small job. And in the meantime, she's still writing and working on her own things. And, you know, all those things that I have on my to-do list Maureen actually does from her to-do list. So it's pretty fun to listen to her talk. So before we hop into our conversation with Maureen, Oren, I've been dying to know, what have you been working on lately? Well, I uh, am right now prepping for two jobs that I don't have, <laughs> but probably have. Man, this commercial world, it's a real, it's a real kick in the butthole sometimes. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners know what a, an award means in the commercial world. But or just in winning case they the don't. job. Sometimes people will say that as well. Yeah. So an agency, you know, they want to hire a director and a production company to make their commercial. And they have a calendar and they're like, hey, we're going to, you know, send out the brief, you know, the basically the idea for the commercial to these directors on this date. Then we're going to have calls with these directors. Then they're going to make treatments. And then we're going to decide who we want to give the job to, and then we will award them the job. And once the award happens, that's when they agree to give you the money. And so in theory, you shouldn't really be working on a job before they give you the money because anything can happen. it might not go your way. Yeah, yeah either it, doesn't, it might not go your way or the whole thing might disappear. So like a perfect example, and I, we actually talked about this in last week's episode, is when you are trying to have like a famous person in your commercial and they haven't said yes yet to be in the commercial, but it's shooting on a certain date. So you're starting to prep things. You're trying to book crew. You're trying to book locations. You're trying to get everything in order so you can shoot. But there's still the chance that that celebrity person will say no. And if they say no, then the client doesn't want to pay anything for no commercial. 
and the agency doesn't want to pay anything for no commercial. So so don't commit any money before uh, you know there's going to be a commercial, or at least you know once the contracts are signed, basically. Right, but sometimes if you're shooting on Friday and the person still has not agreed to the contract on Wednesday, are you not going to start prepping till Thursday? You know, in my kind of like commercial world, you need two weeks is like a good amount of prep. Not a good, but it's like enough to do a commercial well. And one week is enough to get something in the can that is salvageable. But one day is it's just you can't do anything with one day of prep. Yeah, it's uh, essentially impossible. Yeah. So anyhow, I'm on this job right now. It's we're just waiting for this contract to be signed. I'm on two jobs where they're like, as soon as it's awarded, it's yours, Oren. Like I'm talking to the creative team. We're working on the script. But in the meantime, you know, I'm trying to book crew and trying to get DPs, production designers, first ADs. And so something that's interesting, the DP I work with a lot has been very busy this year. And so I'm kind of talking to a few other DPs to see who I should hire. And while both of these jobs are fun and I'm very excited about them, they're not like huge union jobs or anything where somebody would like give up on another job to, to do it. But what I've been thinking a lot about lately is like, how much can a DP make or break your project? Like, how much do you think that your choice of cinematographer is what made your project good versus bad? And when I say good, I don't mean looked good. I mean that the overall, if it's a commercial, if it's a short film, if it's a feature, how important is this one person that you're hiring to be your cinematographer to determining whether your project succeeds or fails based on whatever criteria you I I would say, generally speaking, pretty darn important. I think that the more camera savvy you are, maybe the easier it is to communicate with a person who maybe wasn't your first choice, you know, or to dictate to a person who wasn't your first choice. You know, there's a a lot of different elements that we're talking about here. We're talking about their taste, technical abilities, leadership abilities, general attitude. All of those things, I think, are pretty important. And so that's why I don't really love reels, actually, because I don't know how long you took on Sorry. sorry, son of a gun. Sorry, or sorry. All the real hate. I, I, out what, what I really mean is my like, real article is coming out tomorrow. By the way, <laughs> it's it's why I actually, you know, I'm really lucky in that I have a a pretty deep roster of of DPs who I really love. You know, there's a lot of people out there that I really love working with who have done great work, and I have had the good fortune of having jobs that were. I was on a treadmill where I was like shooting a bunch of sketches every week or a different show every week or whatever. And we oftentimes would, would hire a new DP for each of them. So I could test people out, I guess is what I'm trying to say in a format that kind of was already built. So the stakes were a little lower. Exactly. Exactly. Like if one of the 20 episodes of this sketch show didn't match up exactly, it's not that big a deal. And you also get to practice with them. You get to learn what they're good at and what they're, maybe you know lacking or, or that's not even the right word but like what, what their superpowers are yeah, basically. Their strengths and yeah, yeah. weaknesses are yeah i mean so on that note i'm going to put you on the spot here can you think of a project that you did that did not turn out as good as you wanted it to be because of the cinematographer obviously i'm not going to ask you to name the project or names but can you think of that because based on your premise that the cinematographer is that important that they can make or break your project? You would think there would be a lot of projects that maybe weren't going to be that good, but actually ended up being good because of the cinematographer or vice versa. I can think of instances where 
the cinematographer is the right person for the job. And I can think of instances where the job's challenges didn't match up with their strong suits, right? You know, and oftentimes that mostly comes down to speed. If something doesn't turn out as good as I want it to, typically I'm blaming three things. Myself, first and foremost, I'm so sad. Second, the material, right? Like the script isn't strong enough or sharp enough, right? You know, uh, you try to get it better and it's just it's just not there. Uh, and then the schedule, right? And so a good DP is going to be able to help me with all three of those things. Most of, like in reverse order, typically, right? So their schedule, they're going to help. Are they good at pitching how to condense shots? Or like, are they good at making, you know, moving quickly or sniping off, being opportunistic, grabbing shots that maybe don't need huge, big relights and big retouches, right? They are really positive. And so that puts everybody in a good mood that they can do their best work. And maybe that means that you fix one of the jokes that's falling flat. And then finally, if they're easy to work with and fun to work with and all those other things are happening, then maybe I feel a little bit better about myself and I can kind of try to make things as good as I possibly can. The, the first one was a bit of a joke about me just blaming myself. I do, but like that's different. That's just like a DP doesn't have a control over whether or not I blame myself for the quality of your project, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Do you think, and I'm, I'm sure this is different on every job, but if you average out all jobs, do you think the DP is your most important hire? No, I would say production designer is the most important hire. Even if you're doing like a man on the street per thing? like No, no. not <laughs> If there's no production design, then no, production designer isn't the most important. But I would say... Right. Uh, but there's there's a DP on every suit, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but what we're saying is, is that if the lift is approximately the same, if you have to light, lead a crew pick shots, oftentimes operate and make your day with a DP, then I still mostly pick, pick production designer. Yeah. In terms of hires. Yeah. I, I hear you there. Well, so I'm in the situation right now where, you know, my regular DP is not available. I could go back to one of a handful of DPs I've worked with before. Or my other option is to try to hire someone new. And I have this problem being on Instagram where I follow a bunch of DPs that I've never mm -hmm. worked with. And you're like, ooh, I'd love to hire like, this person. Yeah, every time so this cool. person puts something on Instagram, just amazing. Like, I wish I could get this these shots. And I know this person always works with this colorist at this amazing color like house. Like, maybe they'll get us a deal. And, and then I think to myself, like, I'm deliberating so much in my own head about who to hire. And then at some point I'm like, does it really matter? <laughs> Mm -hmm. like they're yeah, all yeah. great dps they're all they're, they're all, all great. shot a million all great things, DPs. You know? and, and and that's not to say that not every like every dp is different and has different skills and, and all of that you know in listening to you talk it made me think about one of the big deciding factors for me on who i want to ask there's two there's two reasons that i'll i'll go to a certain dp first one is does their taste match the project Right? Do they like to shoot the, the type of things that we're shooting in this project? So is it docu-style comedy? Is it product shots? Is it, you know, action? Wh whatever it is. Is it really, like, lighting heavy? Does it need to be really stylized? All of that stuff is kind of where I'll start with picking a DP. But then there is the factor of 
there are some DPs that are really persnickety, you know, that are that are going to be in a bad mood if they don't get as much time as they need to make it perfect. And there are DPs who are like, if you're like, hey, we really need to go, they'll be like, okay, great. Let's let's do it now. I, uh, you know, two seconds. And then they'll just kind of rough things in and they'll live with it. And I think that that is kind of the biggest challenge for me because I don't want to punish DPs who roll with punches and and not give them different opportunities because they are like directors. They like they're like, yeah, I've shot a lot of like documentary style stuff, but I would love to shoot some stuff that's more crafted. I just haven't had the opportunity. And so that's always a, a bit of a seesaw for me, basically. Yeah. So I think the reality is, like you said, that the most important thing is the material. You know, it's the script and the cast and the DP can make it look really great and they can help a little bit um, and they can maybe make it look a little bit worse. But um, no DP I work with will probably make it look that bad, you know? Yeah, no so, DP, like anyone in yeah. your roster, they're all great. Yeah, there's like a mi- there's a minimum qual- production quality that it, it's going to have. So I don't know. I've just been I've been thinking about that a lot because a lot of times, like various production companies that I work with, they'll be like, "Oh, you want to try out a new DP or a new designer or a new casting director or a new, you know, wardrobe makeup artist? Like, let's just switch things up. Let's see if someone else can make your stuff look different." And I I'm I'm never quite sure like how much as a director how much you're setting how good something is versus how much your crew is making I, it. I think you're you're doing a, a fair amount of it, mostly because I think that you're the person who's getting the, in the case of a commercial, the agency on board, right? So like a lot of things have been signed off on well before the crew is really up and running. You know, boards have probably already been drawn you know, looks have already, you you put together that pitch deck. There's probably a couple of people who are like, well, no, we want it to look like the image you pulled from the deck for the deck. And then your DP is just kind of locked into whatever that look is. And most of the time that's a grade anyway, you know, but the other more important point is that I think it is good to mix it up, but we put so much emphasis on the DP when like mixing it up in the wardrobe or casting or like, or production design, all of those, you know, disciplines are equally as important. And because cinematography has the biggest crew and they're the most present and they're the most front and center and they're such a big part of the image chain, it feels like they're the most important. And they love feeling like they're the most important, right? And they're in there in the they're in the crow's nest with you, you know, like your art team is oftentimes as big. It's just that there's, you know, six people running around painting something and tearing something down and driving three trucks all over the place, you know? They're doing a lot of pre-production and post-production yeah. that we're not seeing. Yeah, yeah. The cinematographer, in my opinion, is the busiest person on, on the day. set. On yeah, the yeah. shoot days. They have to, obviously, while we're shooting, they're busy. And between setups, they're busy. <laughs> like, there's never... They're in charge of both shooting and moving on to the next shot in a way that nobody else on set is when you're on a shoot i do you ever feel like i always feel like oh i miss my producer and i miss my production designer because they're elsewhere most of the time do you know what i mean it's like oh like two of the people who are the most integral in prep 
all of a sudden are just doing the next part of their work. And I'm always like, you, you didn't get to see how good your set looked, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I do anything that's remotely art heavy. I feel like I do interact with them a lot because I tend to have a lot of thoughts and notes and opinions and questions on the shoot day. So I, uh, I've but learned oftentimes to talk like, to them instead they'll of be like, well, else. here, here's your set deck. I'm running the show, you know, like come talk to me if you need me. But like, if you need to move the dirty socks from one side of the room to the other, yeah. they've got it, you know? Yeah. But I guess I, at least the way I've kind of trained myself to work with the art department is to say to the production designer, like, Hey, I feel like we're missing something here. Do you have any ideas? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you sure. As opposed to where, what I used to do is I used to be like, Hey, you see that plant over there? Can you put that over here? to some PA (laughs) and then everyone's like, where's that plant? We were just about to return it. (laughs) Um, So anyhow, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. You know, you sometimes see these directors and you're like, "Eh, that person's like not a, that great of a director. They don't know much about color theory. They don't know much about cameras. They don't know much about, they're not great with actors, but somehow everything they make is amazing and it must be the people around them. And then, you realize, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe they are literally just focused on more important things than the right focused things. on. Or yeah. maybe they're teamed up with the better producers and agencies and people like that. But yeah, I wish. I, I always worry that it's because they're good at saying no to things. Yeah, that's, that is important too. I just wish I have a sh- had a shoot where we're like, we're going to go for like an A plus production designer a plus wardrobe a plus casting a plus, like you know where i don't have to like choose like okay we're gonna put all our money into this steady cam uh and we're gonna just like have the actors bring their own wardrobe you know i don't know wardrobe have their wa- actors bring their own wardrobe is the <laughs> frig- I, if it's too a fitting if it's like okay listen we don't want to blow a bunch of money on jeans let's have them bring some we'll have a few choices don't worry we can take everything back that's okay but like it drives me nuts. Yeah, it yeah. drives me nuts. I know we have to wrap up, but just on that note, I watched the Shit's Creek, like Netflix did a behind the scenes type of thing for the final season where they brought the whole cast and crew to talk about just how great the show was and why it was so great and how how they made it. And David Levy, who is like the, you know, the creator and star of the show, he talked about how the most important thing for him by far was the wardrobe. And he said that the wardrobe is like defines these people and these characters and it brings out so much. And, and I, if you watch that show, literally they'll just cut to the next scene and you're cracking up because of some insane wig some or some dumb weird, weird yeah, yeah. smock yeah. or something. And obviously I know wardrobe is important, but I, I liked reframing things and it being the most important, literally the most important. And yeah. I was watching, I was, you know, I, tweaking my reel a little bit per since you had given me some notes about how old it seemed. And, uh, one of these things that I shot, I'm sure I talked about on the podcast, uh, these two Australians were traveling throughout California and we did like this docu style travel log with them. We just shot it on, uh, you know, uh, Alexa with the zoom lens. And we just went to really great locations like grand central market, the golden gate bridge, streetcars, all these cool places. But I honestly think it's like some of the best looking footage I've ever shot on anything. And we didn't do anything. The only thing that makes it amazing is the wardrobe, the 
the lead woman in it, Tara Milkty, she's like known for her fashion. She would wear clothes that match the location and they're high end clothes. And the male lead, uh, Reese Nicholson, who's a comedian, he always wears a suit, no matter what black suit. If he's at the beach, if he's skateboarding, if he's bike riding, he always wears a suit and he has this like bright red hair. And it's like, anytime you cut to that, it's like you have these two personalities that just Anchors. fly yeah. off the screen, you know, whether they're against a white wall or at a food, like a pizza place or whatever. And it made me just think like, I got to really, I got to really put, invest a little bit more in my wardrobe. In wardrobe. Thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that thought. I, I One final bit about that. I think that it, when you do those kind of like man on the street or docu style pieces, you also are reminded that in any location, there's like one awesome angle at any time of the day. And, you know, there's probably like complementary angles therein, right? But it's when you need to do scene work that all of a sudden it's like, oh, now we got to get out all the friggin' lights and all of this and that or whatever. But like, just like backlit, find the right location. You're most of the way there already. And it's just that like, making things match and feel continuous is where things can get really gnarly but like yeah just pick the cool background you're good to go yeah anyhow on that note i want to remind everyone that we have a patreon patreon.com slash just shoot a pod it's a place where you can support us if you feel like any of our ramblings about directing and things that we think about as directors hopefully you can connect with some of them whether it's cinematography or getting jobs or whatever it is that we are interested in that week. Hopefully you feel like you get something from this podcast and you want to give us a dollar a month, $2, $4, $10. We'll get you a hat. I mailed out all our hats that we owe people. So we're doing well on the hat end of things. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. We appreciate it. Uh, if not, we totally understand. But it's just a nice thing. To do. It, it, it just warms our hearts. All right. Well, with that, let's hop into our conversation with Maureen Barucha. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Maureen Barucha back on the pod. Welcome back, Maureen. You've had a, a busy few months. Congratulations. What bullet points all the different things that you've done in the last few months? Uh, right out of the pandemic, I came out and uh, did this really incredible podcast that just got released called Edith, starring Rosamund Pike, Esther Pavitsky, Clark Gregg, Stephen Root, Diedrich Bader, um, Brandon Scott Jones, just an incredible cast of people. But it's an eight, eight episode series about uh, Edith Wilson, Woodrow Wilson's wife and kind of how she he had a he had a he had a stroke and she kind of ran the white house secretly so it's like a dark comedy so yeah i mean something i did not know about and it was it's it's such an incredible show written by gonzalo cordova and travis helwig so i did that kind of right out of the gate Um, isn't that um isn't that the the reason why we have is it the 25th amendment oh is it It, the the amendment where it's like basically if a president is incapacitated Mm. because like no one voted for edith wilson to be the president so it's kind of no, cra- I mean, it's kind of crazy that she was secretly running the government. That's not what the people would want, even if she did a great job. You know what I mean? That's exactly what the the podcast kind of delves into. I mean, it's again, it's a dark comedy, so it kind of takes that and runs with it. And that might be that might be one of the reasons. Rosamund Pike really owning that genre. Huh? <laughs> she cares a lot. Yes. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh, she is so incredible in the show. But yeah, I did the I did this podcast. I did the podcast called Edith, and then I did two episodes of Drama Club. I did some Crank Yankers. Uh, I did I did a proof of concept for Merman. Um, I'm working on right now. I'm directing another feature, which is yet to be announced. But yeah, I've been very fortunate and lucky that I have been working ever since since January. Yeah, which is not yeah. that long ago. You know, it's like it, it that's isn't. a lot of projects. To cram into so many months. Yeah. I think like coming out of the pandemic when there, I mean, I, I got to tell you, there was times there this year where I was like, maybe I just won't ever work again. <laughs> like maybe sure. this is it. Maybe yeah. I'm done. And I think like after we came out, I was like, I guess I've just had a hard time saying no to everything. So I've just been saying yes to as many things as possible and maybe to my detriment, <laughs> but well, well, uh, it feels good to be yeah. working again. Well, yeah. it's funny you bring that up, Maureen, because I'm moving next week. Do you have uh, some time to help me <laughs> load up a, a couple of truckloads? Well, that's that's awesome. I guess, I mean, I don't know. If I was in hosting this podcast, I would I would be interested in like hearing the details of how all these things came together. Like Edith, the podcast, I mean, I guess I'm, if I would have to guess the first thing out of COVID, uh, that you're working on is a podcast. It's probably for a reason, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it basically uh, Crooked Media and Q Code. Q Code makes these narrative podcasts, and so they were, you know, they were doing them pre-pandemic. But I think in the pandemic, I think it was they were able to just kind of kick them into high gear. Because, and I gotta say, it 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 has been probably the hardest project and the most rewarding project I've ever done. It was what? that can't be true. It's it really is. It, at first, I think you're like, oh, directing a podcast, like maybe it's not that difficult. But if when you break it down and we basically, sh- uh, you know, there were eight episodes, 30 pages each. It was like prepping a TV show minus the video part portion. But there were 10 main characters. There were 
over a hundred other voices. And I basically directed each and every person over Zoom individually. And so the reason it was harder than actually directing a regular film or TV episode is that, you know, say you have four characters in a scene. Well, you're not going to be done with that scene once you do it. You're going to have to return to that scene like four more times and remember what each person in that scene you were giving them, or maybe you haven't recorded somebody yet, what you might need. Um, and, and did so you it was, have a team in terms of like, is there a script supervisor? Or I assume there's sound engineers and things like that. Are there people there to kind of help, you know, jog your memory, put you back in that place at all? Is there playback? How does yes. that work? There's not playback because, you know, it also there's a very, very short amount of time that you're needing to get what you need to get. But yes, there's a there's an ama- I had an amazing script supervisor, Sam Beasley, that was incredible. And then uh, an AD, Kelsey Adams, who was basically, you know, what was kind of cool is that, you know, we were all on Zoom. Uh, Rosamond was in um, she was in Prague. So we were kind of doing that. I was in L.A. So we had like five days together to get, I think, I think it ended up like the whole thing was 269 pages is the show is the whole show. So, and she's the, the lead. She's the lead. Yeah. She's, she's, um, Edith Wilson. So not only, you know, so, you know, I'm getting times from the AD. I'm like, she's like, this is how much time you have for these, these sections. So she's keeping me on task. And then, you know, the script supervisor is kind of reminding me because you can get really lost because you're jumping all over the place. And again, yeah. individually. And the fact that she's in Prague, she's probably like drunk off of Pilsner or Kells the entire time. <laughs> or, or frankly, more likely on another project. Right? Like, I mean, like, I don't know. Prague is a real production town. Genuinely. Oh, yeah. It like doubles for all sorts of different European cities. If you need like a old style, you know, city in Europe. Prague is probably the city you're shooting in. So, like, mm-hmm. if a movie star has a little bit of time to like kill on a you know on a different project, and they can do it remotely, I, my hunch is that that she has something else going on. So, was that a challenge at all? Like, were you dealing with her schedule in any way? Or was she able to stay focused, or rather, how did you keep her focused while you oh, were my doing this remote work with a time she change? Is, I mean, you know, one, she is just an incredible actress and you know, was so present and, and brought so much. It, it was really so rewarding to work with her. And it was like conversation, you know, the the kind of thing that was like a bummer was that we couldn't meet in person and have conversations about the character in person. We had, you know, the time difference. So, you know, we were doing phone calls or I was sending her emails of just like thoughts that I had and she was sending those back. So um, it was just, a, and it was, you know, this is the only thing I think she was working on at the time for this time frame. But it was a very intense uh, thing for her. I mean, it, you know, she's doing an American accent and it is an interesting story that kind of nobody knows about. And she is just, she was just incredible. So getting to work with her and seeing her work and kind of just talking things out was, was really rewarding. So she was very dedicated. Now tell me, mm-hmm. Maureen, are there not enough good American actors that we have to keep hiring these non-American actors to play all of our parts? I mean, I... What is going on? <laughs> I mean, I think the best person for the job, whether you're American or British or whatever you are, you know, I think whoever is the best and she is the best. So I think that like she definitely okay. had a... And Sorry, I think, American actors, I try. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I think sometimes people that are not American have a more interesting perspective, perspective. on... perspective. Yeah, yeah. Long yeah. Distance. On American politics. On We're all too close I, to the Edith Wilson story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. I remember you know, the c- when my parents yeah, <laughs> read uh. about Edith. Um, well, so let me ask you another question. Yeah. I mean, obviously scheduling is hard. 
But you hear about this, especially in animation. You hear like Frozen, right? You have these like mega stars doing voices for these giant movies and they are never recording together. Like, wouldn't it be easier both for you and for the actors and for the editors if you got four actors to record at the same even, time? Yeah. Even if they're all under the locally? same Zoom session. You know. Well, we did. We did do. We did do. Um, so the movie star, you know, stars Rosamond and it co-stars Esther Pavitsky, who kind of plays her best friend, and then uh, Clark Gregg is Woodrow Wilson. So we did do. You know, I went through the scripts. Scheduling was hard, but we did have certain scenes that Esther and Rosamond did together, and Clark Gregg and Rosamond did. It wasn't their full thing. It was just like scheduling wise, you couldn't do that. And I think normally Q code um, podcasts do do that. They have all the actors together and they kind of do it more like a live show, but just because of COVID and schedule, this wasn't the case with this. And that is actually one of the things that I think was interesting about doing is it like, you know, I never have, I haven't never directed animation. So I didn't approach it like directing animation. Like I didn't give, I didn't let people do a line and then do just different variations of that. I really did like scene work with them and was like directing them through scenes. And we had a reader that would read the scenes with them. And then I would give them notes like, like we were shooting it. So a few people that I think came from it that have come from animation came in being like, Oh, you're not doing it like a normal voiceover animated show. Right. Yeah. You could just <laughs> you're be doing like, it like there's a camera. Of, wow. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. We didn't, well, I didn't let me ask do it you like this that. Maureen. Mm-hmm. Did you have her stand up while she was doing her dialogue? She was standing because she was she was uh, in a like a recording studio in Prague. Oh, she wasn't. It's not like you mailed like a sound set up to every actor. They do that. But I think with hers, I think it was easier to just have because um, I think Prague maybe had been a little bit safer. And I think just like making sure that they had all that progressive stuff. over there. <laughs> yeah. So that was what was great is that we had a uh, a great sound guy there in Prague. To- that is nice. Also, like the uh, just the stress. Look, I mean, we're we're living through it literally as we speak. Three technical people were still kind of like bouncing between like oh headphones and let's check your levels, all that stuff. Having a, a an engineer dedicated to it, I think, just makes a world of difference in terms of keeping your talent focused. You know, like the I think maybe one of the worst parts of covid from a purely from a from a hollywood perspective you know separate from all of the other terrible things but like actors being expected to be their own sound engineers and cinematographers and stuff has been a, a bummer for everyone I yeah think. i mean in this too we you know there, it was so hard to be like are you rolling are you sure you're rolling or do they have to cut after each take and then re-record it so it was definitely a challenge but again all the actors and i think it's it's really fun and it it was Again, I didn't treat it like a podcast necessarily. It was the score is incredible by this guy, Darren Johnson and the sound design. It really is so immersive and it it really feels like you're watching it when you're listening. So um, everybody's just so great. And so I'm really, really proud of it. And it is one of the it was one of the most challenging, but one of the most rewarding things I did. And, and post oh, took a long time, too. Oh, interesting. When does it uh, release? Is it available? It's released. Now? It's available now. There's two episodes, and it comes out every Thursday. There's a new episode every oh, Thursday. Oh, look at that! So yeah. uh, a it's little half hour, a little competition. Yeah, half hour. Yes. <laughs> oh, interesting. Thursday, what time slot? Because that's when we come out. You know, <laughs> seven a.m. Mm. <laughs> you hear that? Okay, so Sarah, tune into Edith, then just roll right over 6 to six a.m. <laughs> from now on. Oh, six a.m. Now, <laughs> so now we'll change it. Let's do six fifty. <laughs> Let's cut into that. Um, well, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank so you. I guess I, I'm really curious. How did you get this job? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Either I, my 
reps brought it to me, but then also I have worked, I worked with Gonzalo Cordova. Um, he was a writer on Jimmy Kimmel live when I was there. So I knew him from the Kimmel days. And what was really funny was when I kind of, you know, talked to Travis and Gonzalo about it, Gonzalo remembered a bit that we did together where I guess he said, you know, I remember this one bit that we did with this kind of big actress. And he said, she was a little frazzled and you just talked her down or, He's like, I just love the way you talked to her and like got her where she needed to go and you were really calm. And and so that was one of the things that was, I kind of didn't remember that we did that bit together. And he said, he just remembered that. And I was like, that was so lovely. So, you know, I think it was like, he had worked with me before and saw how how I could handle pressure situations. And again, shooting this was in a very, a very short period of time. So how, what is the secret to, sorry to take a total left turn here, but... <laughs> You're, you're working with an actor that's just frazzled, that's maybe not getting the lines, or there's some tongue twisters in there that are hard to get out, and you know, you're, you're on a time crunch. What, what is your method to like chill people out? And yeah, get, I mean, on Kimmel, it happened mean? quite often when like people would come in and they would just like, I think they froze or they would get like nervous. And my whole thing is like, you're doing fine. Like, you're fine. No worries. Like, shake it out. We can get this or, you know, you don't want to give them a line reading per se, but you might say to them with like the intention that you want. I think it was just like usually famous people, right? That you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) All the famous people. Um, This is like Donald Trump level. (laughs) Um, It happened a couple of times with famous people and even like day players you'd bring in and you'd be like, oh God, we only have an hour to shoot this before I have to get it to Jimmy. But yeah, it was just like basically calming people down where it's like, it's okay. You're going to get it or we'll get a version of it. And even if you're like, Oh my God, we're never getting it. And they're not, they're not good in your, in my head. It's like, you just have to calm them down and make them feel at ease and that you're not upset with them and that you don't feel like you're impatient. I think you just have to lean in more to like, it's cool. You got this. It's fine. Do you guys, I just like got sucked into some, some YouTube black hole of watching like videos about how you're supposed to direct actors or something. And one of them was like an interview with all these different actors talking about what they look for in a director. And a lot of them kind of said this thing where they, they want to trust the director. They want to believe what the director is saying. Like if the director is saying, Oh, you should do it faster. Cause you're coming off like a little boring or whatever Then I, I, I want to trust them. So, so they're protecting me and, and the performance and, and I'm not bad pretty much. And a lot of them were talking about how like they want the director to tell them the truth. Like if it's not working, they want the director to tell them it's not working to try something else. And in my experience, it's kind of been like yours, Maureen, which is like you have to tread so lightly to say like, yeah, it's just not working. Like, I feel like that would throw off a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I feel like if I ever. So is that, I feel so like, honesty is not that important. I think honesty is important. But I guess like when someone is like struggling and like they feel like they're drowning, I don't think that's the time to be like, yeah, you're not getting it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think like if they do something that doesn't. Yeah, we cast the wrong person. Yeah. You are doing really Listen, bad. You know, <laughs> casting makes mistakes sometimes. But I think like if they do something and it doesn't feel right or natural, I will be honest. I'm like, yeah, something about that felt weird or like that feels not right. And it's more like, how can we fix that? Or what felt what what didn't feel natural to you about that? Or how would you say that if you were saying it in your own words? So I think that's like when I really lean into the honesty when like somebody does something and like it's just the wrong choice or you don't like it being like, I don't know, that's not really what I, you know, yeah, I th- weird. I think also like, you know, making it about something abstract, like the choice or the line or the moment or the beat and not them. 
not the person I think really helps. I, I actually have a question though, guys, because I, I feel like what we're talking about, like, you know, there's a decent amount of intuition that goes into that, right? Like of just kind of feeling a person out, getting to sense what language they speak, what they want to do, how they like to be, you know, directed. But have you two ever dealt with a performer who was so confident that they were just like, they just kicked open the door and they're like, no, 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 I'm going to tell you how it is. And like, that's happened to me a few times and it's really knocked me on my heels. Like they think their version is, is the right, the right version, version and, and take there's notes. not any arguing about whether or not, like even if you like set up all the lights in the other corner, they're like, no, no, I'm standing here and we're rolling. <laughs> yes, I have. with like a podcast co-host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> The other way is yes. learning to admit that you're wrong, Oren, I think is a thing that you should work on as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm here I'm to mediate. To think. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. You, I worked with Fran Drescher many, many years ago. <laughs> and she was, she might have been like, honestly, like one of the first celebrities I'd ever worked with. And she had a lot of thoughts on how she should do things and whether she should do <laughs> the nanny laugh. You know, like we had these things that we wanted her to do and she was like, no, yeah. that's not cool. Yeah. yeah, it's it's harder when they're they've been on TV for a long time because they yeah. do know things that you don't know. Probably, they have yeah. more experience than you, most likely. Well, I just I just worked with this actor who is very is very prestigious and like yeah, I was very intimidated by him in the sense of just like he's you know incredible and whenever I'd give him a directing note, he'd be like, "We'll see." <laughs> Michael Caine? <laughs> so as, a like, uh, as a joke? As a joke? No, I didn't know. Oh, I mean, but he went, but the thing is, like, he did all my notes. Like, when I gave him a direction, he totally made the adjustment. But it was a funny, it was just like a, a very weird, like, how about we do it like this? And he's like, or I'm like, I I feel like your character, you know, maybe they're doing this. And he'd be like, we'll see. Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> was he was saying like, it with a smile or was no. he like challenging oh, you? Oh, that's so weird. The thing is, like, it didn't so feel weird. like a challenge. It didn't feel like a challenge. It was like, I and now now that I look back on it, it felt like more like that was, I, I find that I found that's happened a couple times to me where I'm taking, uh, maybe because I'm so like, in, I think one of the, my gifts is that I am very like, tapped into how people are feeling or like the vibe or whatever it is. So that if somebody is like upset, I feel like I'm like, are they mad at me? Are they upset? But like, I'm not showing that. So there, there was like another actor that I worked with and every time I gave them a note, they were just like, fine. Okay, fine. But it was like, but then later they were like, this was like the best experience I've ever had was like with you. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I didn't realize, but it was just, I learned that that was their way of like taking a note that they were like, so in their head, and like thinking about the character that it, it seems curt and like fine or we'll see. But it was like that was actually their way to affirm like, yes. Yeah, that, that's so funny because there is that it's a two way street, right? Like if you're working actively to be empathic, that makes you vulnerable, you know? And I don't think a lot of actors, maybe the more seasoned ones do, but I don't think a lot of actors realize, you know, the anxiety that us as directors are experiencing on set, you know? Yeah. And how we have to we are also performing you know, for people in a way, especially for the actors. To me, it's like they need to think that everything is going amazing regardless of, you know, what is happening behind the scenes. And so it's like we're acting also. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we've I feel got like, people and, to impress, you know. And now that like I feel like I've worked, I mean, on Kimmel or with like these are projects where I've worked with like bigger names or just people that are like way more experienced than me that is a little intimidating. But at some point you're just like, 
all right, I'm just going to fucking direct them. You know, like you just got to give them the notes and do it. And it's like, who cares if they're mad at you or they don't like the note? It's like, that's what your job is, you know? And I feel like I'm now at a place where I feel comfortable. I don't, even though if I feel intimidated a little bit, it's like at the end of the day, all the, I mean, I feel like I always hear like, I just, just direct me. Just tell me what to do. Like that's what actors want. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're helping me realize Maureen actually, because I, I tend to not be intimidated by people who are smarter than me or more talented or more experienced. Like I'm, I'm excited by that or something, but what intimidates me I'm realizing is when people are aggressive or bullish. So you can be, you know, a a quote unquote nobody. And like, if you come at me too hard, that would bother me. But it's, it's especially hard when they have a lot of status. Well, like sometimes those people like ask you questions that you just you have to be prepared, right? Like right, right. part of this, part of the like nervousness I ever have is that I'm not prepared enough. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you're like, uh, what if I, what if somebody asks me a question and I'm like, uh, don't waver, don't waver, just, just answer it. <laughs> like, yeah. I do think that's like a lot of like the biggest thing to me as a director that comes with experience is surprisingly, I'm still just as nervous about my shot list and how I choose to cover a scene now as I was probably more nervous now than I was like 10 years ago. You know, all the mistakes you can make. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, there's so many options and I know this person did this cool thing and Maureen just did this and she did this cool crane shot. Maybe I want to do that. Like, you know, I basically just want to do everything that I see that I like and those things don't always work together. But for some reason, working with actors has become really comfortable for me. I remember when I did my first feature, I uh, I did a consulting session with um, Judith Weston. So she guided me in terms of like how to think about the characters. And she helped me build this questionnaire that I sent the actors that they email, we emailed back and forth about. And a lot of our actors were deaf, actually. So that was the easiest way to communicate. And then we would meet up and we'd talk about the characters and we'd talk about the backstory and we'd talk about all these things. And I spent so much time getting to know the actors and getting to know the characters and getting to know things. And nowadays... Just a lot of times I'll just meet the actor for the first time on the day we're shooting and I have to be as comfortable as I was with them immediately as I was back then. And I realized that as much as we're talking about content, where this character comes from and all the motivations and all that stuff, it's really just about us getting like our anxieties out, you know, before before we're working. And it sounds like you, Maureen, kind of intuitively have that ability to just find how people connect and connect with them quickly and easily. And it, sometimes it is hard because I feel like if I try and then someone stonewalls me, I'm like, okay, cool. That didn't work. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, I feel like I'm like, I kind of talk about my unusual background or I'm like, oh, I did this or, and then sometimes it is like, okay, that I don't have anything. Hmm. <laughs> like, how am I going to make this uh, work? Well, uh, action. <laughs> yeah. And then at that point, it's like, well, who cares? You just got to listen to me anyway. <laughs> Wow. Okay, so Edith comes out. What did you say you did after Edith? Drama um, Club? I did two episodes of a really cool show on Nickelodeon who is that's called Drama Club, and it's about middle school theater group, but it's like shot like The Office or Modern Family, like single cam, run and gun, confessionals to the camera, and all the kids on it were just incredible. And I got some really cool, very complicated episodes when I came on. Everyone was like, good luck making your days. You have the hardest episodes. And I was like, oh, cool. Like they were shot at night and all of the kids are like underage. So it was just about like kids. They're like, oh, they're all going to pumpkin at the same time. And you're like, what? Oh, OK, cool. So like, we gotta- explain to the listeners at home what uh, pumpkining means in this context. So, uh, you know, if you're underage, you can only work eight hours. So basically, as soon as they like step on location, like the clock is 
ticking. And once that clock runs out, they pumpkin and they you, they are pulled from set. The Cinderella regardless. metaphor of, yeah. they, you know, they turn, they into, turn a into a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. So they're <laughs> yeah. no longer a beautiful <laughs> yeah. chariot. So it was, it was, it was a challenge, but it was so much fun. Like, I feel like when I was on that set, I was like, oh, okay, like getting in the groove of it and being like, you guys are rocking and rolling. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And the kids were so funny. And um, I had a great, and then technically those are my first episodes of television. I had never directed episodic television so, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it got two blocks. And again, both of my episodes, I did one called The Slumber Games. So it was a, a more oh, unusual episode. They <laughs> yeah. got to do like a capture the flag style thing all over the school. And then after that, I did um, some I directed my I did first time I've ever directed puppets on Cranky Anchors. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Maureen. <laughs> Let me ask you two questions sure. about Drama Club yes. real quick. So number one, you said it's kind of like office modern family style, mm-hmm. and you called it single cam. And I'm assuming when you call it single cam, you probably had more than one camera, right? Yes. there were. We were always shooting two cameras, but uh, the camera, it's not like a three-camera sitcom, like how I feel like right. a lot of Nickelodeon shows are. That right. It, it's not on a stage. It's kind of like you have a shot list and you're doing... Mm-hmm. more intentional kind of coverage more, yeah. more so, like a film but that's interesting to point out especially with nickelodeon because nickelodeon and disney channel are kind of two of the last places where they do those kind of traditional sitcom style setups yeah you know sure. like it's more like most of the time now you don't even need to say it's single cam because you know most tv is single cam now Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. when you do Except say Modern Family, because there's a guy <laughs> named Cam on there, so it's a... yeah, yeah, and he's got the bonus. He's Cam. married, so yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I think when you do say Nickelodeon, or when I do, I think of a certain type of style of show. So that's I think when I when I went into interview for it, I'm like, oh, that's not really my style. Like just thinking about it before I went in, and then when I saw the show, I was like, oh wow, it's like the pilot episode was directed by. Nancy Hauer, who is like amazing. And I'm so glad that um, I crossed with her when I was shooting because I asked her so many questions and she was such a great guide. But her first episode, like I think Birdman was a reference. Like there's so much like steady camp stuff through the school and um, it's a really cool show. But so, so there's a ton of steady camp stuff, but it's also kind of Parks and Rec, like docu style. Exactly. Like it's basically like a doc, like the kids are like spiking the camera, looking into camera. They're doing confessionals. But the, but the energy of it is so fast paced. It's, it's like, you know, I feel like they're calling those things hard comedies now. It's like a hard comedy. Um, right. It's just packed with jokes. I'm curious about that, that docu style stuff, maybe because I'm about to shoot something like this, maybe, uh, cause I'm just curious, but, uh, do you, are the spikes to camera scripted or zoom scripted? How do you figure no. out like the, when the camera operator should zoom in or pan over, like how? How intentional is that stuff and or and how much is there just like these are great camera operators. Let's just trust them to do their thing and then we'll see how it comes together in the edit. I think there's like in my episodes, I think there was like a couple scripted looks to camera, like a couple, not many. But then in the moment, you're just flying and you're like the camera guys on there, Nate and um, Bri were like incredible. Like they were just they were so great. And, you know, they would do things we're not even asking, like, you know, coming into a scene, they would always like pan over or zoom or punch in or whatever. And so then you can adjust from there if you're like, can you not do that or actually punch in here? So, and the kids, like you might do a take where like they just spike the camera at the end or, so a lot of that stuff was just on the fly and not scripted. So you're just trying stuff, directing them to when to look, when to not look. It was really fun. You don't find that that slows you down, that you're just kind of like every take is a little bit different? 
No, I love that. I think that's when, to me, that's like when you find like real moments. I think that it feels like a little like messy. Like moments for your real? <laughs> yeah. That it, that, it, that it feels a little messy and it feels, and that's also how the show is. Like the edits are on whip pans and like moving around the camera. So I think the, the more off the cuff, the better the things feel in that show. Well, and I think with a style like that, there's room for it to build off itself, right? So to Oren, you're 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 kind of asking sort of a coverage question, right? You're kind of saying like, okay, well, you know, when do I whip? When do I not? And I think if you start simple, then your operators get to learn the beats of the scene, right? And then you can kind of let them get looser and looser and whippier and faster as the as you do a few takes, basically. Yeah, there's this camera move that I've always had trouble with my whole career, which I believe, Matt, you call the swingle. Oh, yeah. They do those a lot in that show. Where, yeah. So you're on one character. They say something. You pan over to another character to get the reaction. You come back. They finish saying what they're, you know. Um, And I've done a lot of those. And I find that, uh, you know, like I, you do those because you want the camera move to be in the cut. And then sometimes you'll see the edit and there's like no camera moves. Uh, And you're like, well, like should we have even done the swingle or should we have just done two singles you know i feel like on that show in particular though camera operators are like that they're what's making that work because i feel like you need really brilliant operators that know comic timing for that to really work and though got the, the guys on that show were brilliant like they they would and that same um, when i worked on dead kevin john hale who shot all of dead kevin most, I mean, I shot some of Dead Kevin, but John, that he was like a master at that. Like he would, you know, he didn't go too early. He would like go on the, like he would go on the mm-hmm. joke. And you like can't that anticipate became, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it takes, a, it takes for that to really work, takes like operators that really know that rhythm. I am curious, Maureen, did you ever, you know, do a couple takes and see like, did you have like a notation system of like, okay, now that I've seen it a few times, I want you to whip on this word, that word and the beat after that or anything like that? Like, are you taking notes while you're at monitor? Is it just a mental thing? And then you just kind of, you know, circle up with the operator afterwards. What's the literal process in that case? My process is I'm not good at taking notes in the moment. I'm all in my head. Like I remember I'm having a weird elephant memory where I'll just remember that. And I'll like, I don't like reading along. Like I feel like whenever I'm directing, I'm actually never looking at my script or like my scriptation pad. I'm just watching it. And then, remembering what I want them to do. So it's more just like watching it and then saying like when I want them to move. I'm kind of like you where I, I don't look at notes, write notes or anything. And I come up with things, but the, I remember about them as soon as we start the next day. I was like, oh, <laughs> You're like, shoot. <laughs> so so I have a this. tiny hack for that actually. Um, yeah. So what I, cause I, I, it sounds like we're all kind of the same. Like if I'm looking at a script, the take is worthless. So we just have to do it again. Right. Um, but I will just count on my fingers Every time I haven't how many notes exactly. And so then oh. at least I know, okay, like, you know, a couple of them and you're like, okay, what was the fourth one? And you probably have named them in order of the take, right? So you can kind of figure it out. But like, n- just knowing the total number gets me closer to actually delivering all of them. The other technique I have is that I also have found maybe just my in my personal experience that I don't like to give more than like two or three uh, notes. That's a, so what that's I'll great. do is... That's great. I'll be like, okay, this is the most important thing. And I'll give that on the first pass. And then once I know I have that, if I, the other thing still bumps for me, then the next time I'll just give a note on the second half. So that. Right. But, but notes can be 
Like, hey, I think, you know, when, when you're saying that, maybe give her a beat to think about it or to process it before you go on. And then to the camera person, you have, hey, can the dolly just go like a hair slower? I feel like it's a little rushed, right? And then you have, like, you, you can give more than two notes if they're to different departments. Yes, right? of course. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what's, it's hard to, that's what I can, I can't keep all those things in my yeah. brain at the same time. Yeah. And stay in the moment, right? Like, I think it's really a byproduct of being in the scene with your performers and with your craftspeople, you know, like, of course yeah. you're forgetting while you're things. ordering your Starbucks, right. yeah. you're like <laughs> trying to, it's awkward. Cause they didn't ask like, you know, yeah, they're yeah. texting with DP, your agent. If he wants a Starbucks, like, this rate is bullshit. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> so, so now is, uh, are your episodes of drama club out yet? Those are, those are available on Nick.com and they also aired on the network. So there, it was really, and all, ep- I think all 10 episodes are out. So the show is 10 episodes. Oh, cool. Is it free on Nick.com? It is. I think it is free. Yeah. Nick.com. You can find them all there. All the kids are superstars. They're all so incredible and like really good at improvising too. So, okay. So then you did Crank Yankers. Oh, wait. Oh, I never asked you my second question, which is how you got Drama Club. That was through your reps? That was, um, it actually, so I, uh, Brittany Cope reached out from Nickelodeon. She had, I had met her like, I think three years prior. And she just said, oh, I've been keeping track of you. And we had a director drop out of the show and we need to fill the slot. And so she reached out and I reached out to my reps to bring me in. So and how did you meet her? Like a, some, uh, someone set up a meeting? Yeah. that Yeah. Set up a meeting with her three years ago when she was at abominable at that time. So I didn't even meet, I hadn't even seen oh, wow. her since she was at Nickelodeon. So it, I mean, it does pay off. You just never know where those meetings will come back. It was it, literally three years prior. I had met her. Yeah. And were you, did you keep in touch with her at all? Were you sending her like updates or no. anything? Or? <laughs> no, that's why I was like, wow. Like I should have been better about like keeping up, but like, I think we'd, yeah, we'd ask, met like, does mm-hmm. she follow you on social media of any sort? I think she does. So a lot of people are like, I'm always seeing that you're doing stuff on social media or like, you know, you seem so busy. I love what you're up to. I feel like when Golden Arm came out, I got a lot of that. Like everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to see Golden Arm or. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, social media is the worst, but you kind of have to do it for yeah, this. exact. That, that is the exact I, thing. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times like I post like I posted the first time I did a car rig and like a guy that I had been wanting to do commercials with reached out and was like, I saw you did a car rig. Like, I'd love to talk. And it, I didn't end up getting a commercial from that, but I just re kind of like rekindled that like relationship. And I check in with him, you know. It's happened a few times where I've posted something and it just reminds people about you. The worst is when it's like, yes, yeah, you, you did a car rig. Uh, you know, I'm at Smuggler. Give us a call. We want to talk to you. And you're like, uh, hey, how's it going? What do you want to talk about? They're like, where did you get that car rig? They're out of, they're out of car rigs at all the rental places. Yeah, yeah. Smuggler doesn't know where to get the car rig. Um. <laughs> uh, okay, so then you went on to Crank Anchors. How did you get Crank Anchors? So John Kimmel is the showrunner at Crank Anchors, and I used to work with John over at Jimmy Kimmel Live. We were, you know, is that some sort of sibling of Jimmy? That is Jimmy's brother, yes, John. Um, okay. And John and I, when we were at Kimmel, I mean, John is just the best. He's one of the most creative, funniest people. And so when I, I think I did well at Kimmel, be the show because of John, like. He was just like a, he was kind of like a mentor. So he left actually before I did to go show run Crank Yankers. And he just kind of reached out and was like, hey, are you available these dates? Like, uh, would you want to come do some Crank Yankers? And I was like, hell yeah. So Were you a Crank Yankers fan from back in the day? I definitely watched the show. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I was like in high school when it came out. So right. it was just like yeah, yeah. everybody, everybody watched it. And it was 
you know, such a great show and getting like, to direct give me some on battle it. bots and then some crank anchors. And I'm good to <laughs> yeah. go. Um, and then, but I'm even more of a fan, just, just being there and seeing like the craftsmanship and the incredible talent that go, like, everything that goes into making that show is just in awe of everybody there. And I got some really cool episodes. I got to do one Spoonie Love episode and Kevin Nealon one and Trixie, a Trixie call. So it was, it was really cool. And again, it was my first time doing puppets, but what a, what a fun way to jump in. What did you learn? Were there any like puppet tips they gave you when you were jumping in? I mean, it was like just, I mean, again, I didn't really realize about the hand versus the rod puppets where if you have hand puppets, you have to have tighter shots because you can see below and the rods are a little bit more free and just kind of, you know, kind of the dance that they have to do, the, the puppeteers. But and you know there were the, the puppeteers were so great and so collaborative that they were, you know, I, again you're coming in and telling people that like are you know the top of their game and they're the puppeteers they know what they're doing to be like can you do it like this you know can you do this but they were all really great and open and creative so I had a really great time on the show. Well, how do you find like a personal spin on a show like that? You know, like you say, where you have these. Not only are there performers that kind of know how to puppet these characters so well and they know the characters so well but there's also these rules that you're learning on the fly of like how to even shoot these things what like what are you bringing as a director to a show like that i mean i think i I think maybe what i'm bringing is just like maybe a fresh like oh can we do something like this and they'd be like oh that's a good idea like let's try that like we did this really cool it was funny we actually my spoonie episode or segment there was like a mirror on set and like guys were like, we can't, oh, we, we can't shoot this way because we see behind the set. And then I was like, what if you just stand here? And I like literally just moved him like a little bit. And he's like, I guess that works. Yeah, you're right. Like, So then we did this like cool shot of like him looking in the mirror that like basically a jib that kind of jibbed out and moved at the same time. So it was this really cool moving shot that we got. But it wasn't like that they said we couldn't do it. But I think they're like, well, we don't really don't, wouldn't be able to do that. And so it's just like, well, maybe let's try. I think it's just you bring an energy and a, a freshness and you know you're like i'm here to have fun and like learn but also i know my my stuff you're the you are getting too, angles right like they 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 know how they do it and so sometimes you can just be like well what if we did it a little bit different you know mm-hmm. you break them out of their routine sometimes i guess is what i'm yeah saying. yeah i mean i think it, it's like you're just you're and you're also getting like not coverage like i think it was like i think what was fun is like i'm having fun i'm excited i'm definitely like taking their knowledge into consideration, but then also just having a different kind of energy. You're like, yeah, this is fun. Or like, this is new to me. And it kind of gets people excited, I think, or that's what I felt. Yeah. I'm curious about like actually the, the logistics of it. Is it kind of, um, cause it's been a minute since I've, I've refreshed my memory on crank anchors. All of the, the prank calls are recorded in advance. Right. And then the, are they played back on loop? Is it kind of like drunk history style basically for the puppeteers? Yeah, there's like a loop. I mean, again, they're and they're mimicking or they're, you know, they're mouthing mm-hmm. what's happening on the call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you you can't really adjust the pacing of the performance or anything like that. It's really just like the performance of the puppet giving affectation to the vocal performance that's already kind of set in stone. Mm-hmm. But then also like what, you know, the writers are so great because they write beats, the comedy beats that are oh, kind of not in the call. Uh-huh. So you're also talking, you're pacing that, you're pacing up like, when those comedy beats like come in and that was the, I think the biggest challenge was like making sure you're tracking, like, are my, is this happening too soon? Is it happening too late? Am I like, 
you know, you're kind of cueing those things and making those decisions. Right. So after Crank Anchors, you went to the feature that you're on right now? Actually, between then, I did like a little um, a little proof of concept, like web series. I kind of went old school style where it was like a weekend that I just, I got hired by this company, Merman, which is Sharon Horgan's company to do this project that hasn't come out yet. But they were kind of like, we just want to do this like four episode web series. It's like a proof of concept. And you know, it's over a weekend and I was kind of like, let's do it. And so it was kind of like going back to my roots and just shooting like run and gun quickly. Got it. My John Hale, who did Dead Kevin. And I did that, uh, squeezed that in before I started prep on this feature. So, so let's talk about that a little bit, right? Because like Sharon Horgan, obviously like, you know, a big deal, catastrophe, uh, game night, all of that. I think a bigger deal in the UK than here, but certainly a bona fide star. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, huge. I, Catastrophe's in my top ten favorite shows. Oh my! Fa- oh my favorite so show. I, I my, love it. I love hands it. Hands down. Um, but so so it's a proof of concept though, right? So certain rules that we're used to having to play by permits, you know, releases, all of that stuff are all at the window. Safety, <laughs> safety, sure. <laughs> or uh, but or music rights, for instance. You know, there's some stuff that all of a sudden, you know safety's off right but also there's much less money and so or typically i don't i don't know about your yeah. specific situation but like oftentimes they're, there just, was. <laughs> they're trying to just like figure it out a little bit and and prove to a network or to a buyer that this is worth buying so give us some upsides of doing it that way run and gun roots and then something mm-hmm. you missed actually like you know one of the things was they were going to have like monitors for the producers and because we were doing it so fast and a little bit on the cheap when we ended up getting the monitor, like they, they didn't, they weren't able to hook that up. So I think that was something that was, it didn't hamstring anybody, but it was definitely, I don't know, maybe it was a blessing in disguise because I was just like, I could see what we're doing. I'm standing by the, I'm standing by the uh, DP's monitor so I can tell. So I think that was one of the things that was like, we didn't get that we were supposed to have. And I think, you know, in a normal shoot, you'd have the money and the time to troubleshoot that. The pickup day got shorted or, or maybe the yeah. manpower isn't there. Interesting. Yeah. What was interesting though is that we got like way like we got way more than they wanted like that they they scheduled and I even we did like three bonus little things and they were so impressed with like wow I can't believe you did all that in three days but then you think like oh yeah when you when you do bigger things you can't really get those extra things but when you're doing things run and gun and you're kind of like you have people that know how to do that it's like oh yeah that's easy to like pick up extra little beats or go off and do this thing and you're like elaborate on that why is it easier on a smaller scale to to i think because you have less of a foot you have less of a footprint and again the way we kind of shot it was a little handheld a little bit doc style so we can just go out into the street and shoot some stuff and find some like we just basically found some funny ideas and then just did them in the moment and you're like let's see if this works or not there's a little bit less pressure awesome and and had you worked with the cast before is there anyone no no i hadn't fun Mm -mm. fun yeah. Did you bring the crew on, like the DP and production designer and stuff? I brought the DP. They had some, they had a production designer that was amazing. She was amazing, Martina. And then um, a friend recommended the AD. So it was kind of like a mix of both that like I recommended some people and they had some people in mind just to kind of come help. But that was it was fun. It was just like a weekend. It was like three days. But how much do you prep for something like that? I didn't have a ton of prep. I came on to it like maybe a week before and talk to the actors that were the creators kind of about what their vision was and kind of like how I saw it and, you know, what my style was and they were really down and I think they were very excited. So it was, it was fun. And then, you know, then we did like a little bit of post. I wasn't able to be on it on post as much as I would have liked just cause I was starting prep on the movie, but 
it was fun. It was like, again, it was just like, let's just do this old school style of like just shooting something with your friends over a weekend. How many of these jobs that you've gotten since January in 2021 are you being offered versus you pitching against other directors? I think all of those projects that I just talked about were offers where they, they came to me and or I, they, I was on a list or something that then I interviewed, but not necessarily pitching, just kind of having talking about ideas and stuff. Right. But like with Sharon Hogan, if you like the, she meets with you and asks you what you think about the project and you tell her mm-hmm. like, does she meet with other people also? That project they probably were. But again, I had met um, one of the producers uh, many, again, many years ago and had a general with her and had been checking in with her. Cause again, that's, com- I, I love that company and had wanted to work with them for a long time. So when she kind of just messaged me like, Hey, we have this thing. Would you want to do it? My answer was of course going to be yes. So I came in and kind of just told them my idea. So that one, I probably was pitching against other people, but it seemed like they wanted, but my thing was like, we can shoot it next week. We could just do it. And they were like, we love that. Let's do it. And do you feel like, in what way are your reps involved with these sorts of jobs or just kind of all of them, right? Like your, your reps bring them in, or maybe you set up on a general, you're following up. Walk us through that a little bit, actually. Cause I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got new reps actually in November or I got not new reps. I, have my agents have had for like five years at CAA. And then I got new managers in November and that has been life-changing. I love them. They, they, they're so collaborative and that's how I got Edith and they've just been sending me on. Yeah. On generals or that's actually mostly how some, most of my work is by having met people many years ago and just keeping in touch or posting, or I like to check in with people maybe every year at least, or golden arm was a good opportunity to kind of like, just kind of email people and be like, oh, just, you know, wanting to say hello. And like, here's the thing that I'm doing or that I've done. And so it just kind of reminds people that you exist, that you're doing stuff. So I usually do that, but the, during the pandemic, I just hadn't really. And so that why that's why I was like, wow, all this stuff is coming, even though I didn't do that thing that I normally do. Right. But, which but is like check in with people. What I love about though, is that that's, that's an even split between your reps setting things up, right? But then you maintaining those relationships. I think sometimes it's easy to think like, well, I've got fancy reps, I'm at CAA and you know, people are just gonna uh, send me on generals and then nothing ever happened from it, right? Like how many times have we heard, you know, people complain about that? But the trick is, is if you can kind of continue to nurture those relationships and you have cool things to talk about, eventually someone is like, oh, Marine's always talking about cool things. We'd love to. Yeah. Well, like I think when I, when I want to go on generals, I like don't ever assume that I'm going to get anything out of this general now because everything that I've gotten has like been like a year or two years or three years after I had that general with that person. So you're like planting seeds for the future where you're like, okay, if I connect with this person, they like me, they might remember me. I'll check in when I have a new project or just being like, Hey, just, you know, seeing what you're up to or if you see them in the press or in, they have a new show that gives you a reason to reach back out and not even asking for anything. Just being like, Oh, I saw that you have this. Like, that's so cool. Just wanted to say hi. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I kept, I keep doing that with Steven Spielberg. I'm like, Hey man, <laughs> there's new, new flick out. That's cool. Cool. pretty cool. And nothing. So nothing weird. Yet. Yeah. I send him a, what a dick. You know, I read <laughs> the uh, Jamba juice every the day. The 20th anniversary of AI is coming out. So maybe you drop on a line today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I have a pretty good connect to Haley Joel Osment, so maybe. Uh, oh, there you go. I do love that <laughs> maybe, movie. Maybe I'll work something there. <laughs> okay, so I guess the other thing that I think is important for listeners to take away, at least important for me, is that 
you're doing network television, you're doing cable TV, you're doing these big DGA jobs. But then, you know, you also made Golden Arm. You're also making indie films. You're also doing a kind of proof of concept shoot over a weekend, even though you could have taken the weekend off and relaxed. No rest for Um, the weary. Yeah. So I think there's something about even though you're leveling up constantly, you're still like any anyone that's interesting to work with or fun to work with or creatively satisfying in some way. You're taking the job regardless of. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to like just ultimately like I want to make cool shit. And so it has been interesting this year, like since January, it's like I did the most random eclectic bunch of things which is like a pod like an eight episode podcast and like episodic television and then you know puppets and then a feature and proof of concept so it was like yeah whatever form that is it's like if I like the project or I just want to make something interesting and different each thing gave me a different little window into doing something that I was like yeah I don't want, I want to do that. Are you finding time to originate like your own projects? Um, what's really cool is like actually during the pandemic Mary Holland and Betsy Sodaro and I uh we wrote a movie together. We we met. Those are the leads of your last of movie. Golden Arm. We met every week during the year of the pandemic, and we wrote a feature that we are now in our third draft from, and have some interest. And so that was really cool. Was that that actually kind of was what saved me in the pandemic was just having that every week a meeting with them to be creative and write this movie. So. I have that and we've been doing that and we're, we're uh, talking to some people that are interested. So, and then, yeah, I've been trying to also do my own stuff with my brother and writing a new sitcom and yeah. So I'm trying to find time for that as well, because I think to me, it's just like each thing feeds itself. Like I'm, I'm not good when nothing's happening, but I'm so great when everything's happening. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is true. Like people say work begets work. And if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person, you know, and both of those things, uh, you know, I guess it's the theme of this conversation. It's letting people know that you're busy and that you're doing cool things is what reminds them to hire you to do cool things. So I just need to post some more throwback uh, posts, basically. Yeah, that's why Busy <laughs> Phillips gets so much work. So can you tell us anything about this feature you're working on now? I know it's a little under wraps, um, but it's a comedy thriller. And it's it's been really fun. It's like kind of like a, I don't know how much I'm supposed to say or I'm allowed to say, but it's definitely, um, it's like, uh, we just got a text. You can say whatever you <laughs> damn well, please. <laughs> well, and, and I'm going to beat Warren to the punch. I think also the question of how it came about is, mm. is interesting for us. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. So I did not know anybody that was attached to it whatsoever. Um, but the producer, I guess he said that when he was looking for a director for this movie, he kind of just looked at lists of what, what directors had movies at, you know, Sundance South by, and he saw my name. He kind of, he read the article that I had uh, done in the Hollywood reporter and he was like really interested. So he said, he was like, okay, I really want to meet her. Who do we have in common? And then, so he actually was the producer of Valley girl. So he knew Rachel Goldenberg and reached out to her and was like, Hey, I want, you know, what do you think of Maureen? Can we connect us? So actually I got connected to the producer through Rachel and it, uh, so again, it was like kind of a fun connection there and they gave me the script and I read it and I had been, I've been reading so many scripts that I hate, like I just hated, hate them. There's some really bad stuff out there, but this was really fun and just a great yeah, read. I sent you a lot of scripts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop sending me those scripts. Aren't. Um, uh, are you reading mostly comedies or are you kind of 
reading everything? I'm mostly reading comedies, and I guess I just don't really like most comedies. Like, I feel like that's the thing. We're like, oh, you direct comedy. I'm like, yeah, but most comedy sucks. Like, I just don't to find be fair, most things. Most screenplay, most screenplays, I, I don't, wouldn't say that they all suck, but it's it's special to find one that you connect with personally and you're you're like supercharged to actually want to make you're like oh i'm going to spend 3 years of my life busting my ass to make this movie that's a right yeah that's a diamond one that you connect rock. with yeah. that has potentially finance that has that's available for you to direct and that works with you know there's yeah there's a lot of boxes to check yeah but i do think like when people talk about comedy it's like i find it hard because Comedy is like such an umbrella, but there's so many specific types of comedy that when you say like, I direct comedy or like, this is a comedy, it's like, what kind of comedy? Like, and most of the time they're talking about something broad and schlocky and you're like, that is the comedy that I hate. Like, so don't, I don't want to read that unless you're like willing for me to like change it completely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, but I'm writing my own screenplay, so I don't need to rewrite. But this was just like a fun script. So I kind of gave them my take on it. Um, it stars two boys, but I was like, you know what? Can we change one of these to a girl? Can we change one of the girl characters to a boy? I think it needs to When you to say be- boys, you mean like kids? Yeah, because it's like a high school type of movie. Um, and it, it takes, it was a basic, it's basically about two best friends that are boys. And I was like, I'm kind of sick of seeing this. Like, let's just make, how can we make it like a little fresh and a little different and just, you know, inject something that you haven't seen before into it? So change I, you know my pitch was like changing one of the friends to a girl and then again making it a little bit more grounded and real and just really coming at it from a comedy perspective but also like really making it scary as well because that's just kind of where i like to live right i don't like it's things. a horror comedy it's like a, i would say like a thriller comedy i wouldn't say it's like horror per se a thriller d yeah but we have a, an amazing i mean you're gonna die when you find out the lead the the person who plays the, the teacher is, basically the lead is that character. the premise you tell it's a movie about telling people to lead and then they die. Um, no, uh, are you allowed to tell us? No, I'm not. It's not, ah. it's not announced yet. But yes, we won't die tonight. It's gonna be when you find out who it is. It's it's gonna blow your mind. And the person. This is the teacher. The, the teacher. teacher. Yeah. But yeah, it's been fun, and we're in the middle of shooting it right now. And um, again, it's a challenge. We're on a, sh- a 20 day shoot, so it's another like fun, a fun, quick one. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're just uh, sprinting in between sprints. Yeah, and then right after this, I'm jumping on another episode of network television, which is going to be great. Um, so yeah, just I'm, so I'm busy through August. <laughs> That's so cool. And do you feel like? And then I have nothing after that. <laughs> do you feel like you're getting enough time on each of these projects? Like when you go do a feature, like are you kind of locking everything out? Or are you still kind of reading scripts and managing your career at the same time? Um, well, what's hard is that I think while I'm doing this feature, I'll be jumping onto that show. Like, so I know that I have to like lock out some time on the weekends to start to read and start to break down and start to prepare for when the movie ends. And I have to jump over to the TV show because I, it is a little insane to wrap a movie and then literally two days later, start prep on a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like kind of an, I'm an insane person. (laughs) And when you say start prep, this is like, that's when you start interacting with other departments, but you've already kind of figured out exactly. your side of things. Yeah. So I have to, I have to carve out some time while I'm on do this. You have movie to watch too. the whole show and I'll do research and stuff on it as well. I have, but it's uh, but I think it's always good before you go into a show to just like rewatch all the episodes and like really, yeah. Especially if I'm in the I'm in mind space of this movie. 
So it's going to be, it's the first time I've had to really shift gears this hard. And so hopefully I don't fail. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you'll, you'll be fine. I, the thing actually that makes me nervous on your behalf is just, it's less the jumping into the prep because you can make up that's a, what you're going to do with all that money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, it's more just like you do need a, a little bit of time to just like crash after yeah. a, a, a sprint like that. After a feature, I do have yeah. the, the two days before I did uh, Ojai Valley in spa is like my favorite space. So oh, I'm like, go. okay, the two days before I start prep, I have, mm-hmm. I'm staying there. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Like gen- just like recuperate. you like, yeah, like, I'm getting out. a massage each day. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so that's what she's yeah. going to do with all the money, Oren. <laughs> it actually did get all go, went all to just staying at Ohio Valley because it's very expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, next time I, I recommend <laughs> um, building a pool in your living room and filling it with gold coins. I mean, I can't wait. It. That's the thing. I feel like I'm working a lot more, but don't feel like I have more money. So I'm like, hmm. <laughs> but again, yeah, it's, it's called not inflation, Maureen. <laughs> yeah. It's called having yeah managers, agents, and lawyers. Right there, you go. There you go. <laughs> And taxes. <laughs> yeah, taxes. Yeah, am to... I right? <laughs> well, awesome. Well, congratulations. I mean, I, this is, I, I, you know, I, last time you were on our podcast, was it the panel that we did? At yeah, Thomas? I think it no, was. No, 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 no. We, she, had, we talked to her for oh, Golden, Golden Arm. Arm. Oh, Golden yeah. Arm. Oh, we, oh right. during, during COVID. Yeah. I feel like. During COVID. It, it was like. Not that it's not, not that COVID's over, folks. Okay? But it was like the very <laughs> beginning. It was like, oh, shoot, South by. Oh yeah, had been canceled like that week or something. Like literally, the episode beforehand, we were like, we had this filmmaker on um, who did this movie called Best Summer Ever, and it was like, so are you so excited for South by? This is going to be great. It's premiering here, and then the episode came out, and then South by was canceled. Yeah, a lot of people said because of us. I think that that movie actually had a happy happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, you know, actually, Um, uh, there's one thing um, I think is worth bringing up, and I think we talked about it in that episode, but it's worth reiterating because we're talking about like oh reminding people posting about things all that stuff but maureen you hired a publicist right i did and i think that that's a thing let's let's talk about it a little bit more because also as a good example your publicist reached out to us and was like hey we've got this great filmmaker maureen she should come on your show and we were like, um, actually, of course we know Marine. It'll be great. Um, yeah, we're like, we already know Marine. Okay, but, leave us alone. But I assumed it was the Edith podcast publicist. Was it not? Was it your publicist? It was my public. She's she. They were. She was on um, for Golden Arm, so it kind of bled a little bit. But yeah, Edith kind of happened at the tail end of uh, Golden Arm, like the Golden Arm Press. So is she on like a retainer? Like, how do you? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, one, it's like it is very expensive. So it was like something that I really had to like balance and in the end i feel like the money that i made on golden arm like i basically broke even right where i'm like okay i'm just gonna just gonna do all these things and i'm gonna like i'm gonna do it because i do i've heard so often that it is you need that press and you need people right. to help You're you with investing that press. in yourself yeah, yeah yeah when you say do all the things besides press were there other things that you spent money on to promote golden arm it wasn't so much promoting but i feel like me personally and now that I'm on this kind of, you know, other kind of a low budget indie movie is I just always feel bad that I'm forcing these these crew members to work for such a low wage that even when we're shooting Golden Arm or on this movie, I feel like there's a certain amount of money that I just want to spend on whether that's when we go out to eat, picking up the tab or, you know, um, I'm staying at an Airbnb and then inviting like the the production designer and the DP on this movie to stay at the house where I'm staying and 
You know, it's right. it's money that I'm just eating. I heard you provide all the cocaine. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Well, just like, but, you know, or, I like to have or, a budget, just a, a grip cocaine department. budget. You know, the nice coffee truck on the, you know, overnight or something like that. Like, that, yeah, I think that's like, a thing that's ingrained in TV people that, like, mm-hmm. the writer of that episode and the EPs will, like, get yeah. lunch on Friday or whatever. For sure. So, yeah, so th- there's just something. I mean, even with Golden Arm, like, I ended up hiring a publicist. I even hired, like, a person to, like, help me on the red carpet with my look of stylist. And I like was like, okay, I'm just going to eat. I'm just it's expensive, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to like figure it out. I'm going to. And just knowing that like that is basically like I'm in the red a little bit. But yeah, it's like investing in myself. And it's also like, you know, investing in the people that like help me make this movie or that are just working really hard and staying at shitty hotels and, you know, low budget places where like I'll be taken care of because I am I'm in the DGA and I have a contract and like there's certain things that I'll get, which I should but I just always feel bad that, you know, other people and crew members are having to like, you know, slum it a little bit for my movie. So that like, that goes into like all the things that I like to kind of like think about or just know that I'll have to, that I want to spend money on. But the publicist was one that I debated because it is very expensive. But in the end, it was like so great because it was something that I didn't have to think about. I could just have other people going out to press. And then like, you know, when I had problems, I could talk to them or um, it just, it was just something that like felt really good. And in the end I got, they gave me, they got me great articles and great interviews. And it's something that like, you know, I found Sam at Sheckler PR. I think that's, I don't actually know how to say it, but, but Sam Skirvin, she's just amazing. And I'm like, I found you and now I'll I'll always use you. Like she's in my tribe, you know? And, but the way I did it was like little increments. So you're like, we're going to do this golden arm run. So I'll, you know, pay you for like two or three months for this little run. Right. And do you, does it, like you need to have something to promote, right? Like someone couldn't, like, could I hire them and say like, hey, I just did a commercial for Geico. No, I I think. (laughs) They um, take your money. My dream is to do a commercial for Geico. (laughs) I mean, I saved 15% on my insurance. I might as well put it into a publicist. Put that back and invest it in yourself for it. (laughs) <laughs> um, wait so sorry finish your answer Mara. oh yeah you need to have something to promote because one it's like they have to start you know start start a little before the project comes out while the project's going on and then you know following up so you can have I guess you know I you probably cost a lot of money to have a publicist on retainer for the year it's probably like a ton of money but to have them for a short run yeah you want to have something that you're promoting that you feel like you can get some traction with and, you know, like, there were, could it be drama club? Could it be crank anchors? Like, is that enough of a project to promote? Or does it have to be something that's truly like I think that a Maureen Barucha? Those, those were both in the blurb that they she sent us. It was like, oh, here's the headline, right? Like Edith Goldenarm. And then like, also, she's doing this other stuff that's really cool. I think it's, it's all meant to kind of fold right. into well, each she's other she's pitching us topics to talk about also right. in that email right. yeah i mean i think i don't know about like drama club or crank gankers because i don't know if that's enough of a like like what's going to be the hook like what is something that you know pr people are are going to hook into so i think unless you have something that you are really hardly promoting because it's like it's funny we had an EP of Brooklyn Nine-Nine on and he had made this movie and, you know had, had an amazing cast in it and stuff but we were excited to have him on. He wanted to come and talk about his movie, obviously, but we wanted to talk to him about Brooklyn. Nine-Nine. I wanted to talk to him mostly about Bored to Death, and he was like, "What are you? That's crazy! An old HBO oh, show, right?" <laughs> so it, it is interesting, like what the hook is versus what the publicist wants. But I think, I mean, I think you're saying too 
kind of separate things, at least the way I think about them is one is you want to you want to show people you care about the project you're on, especially when they're not being paid a ton. Um, and and you want to show them that you are going to also sacrifice stuff, you know, even if it's just like money or whatever to make sure this leads to success. I, I remember I, I made this like no budget short once and I was like, hey, everyone's working for nothing. So like this thing better be good, you know, right. like, yeah. That that's otherwise what a waste of time. I thought you were going to say so. lunch better be good, um, and I oh, agree with God, both yeah. sentiments. Lunch better be long. yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing you're saying, which I think is a, a more is the thing we've heard less on the podcast, is just about like investing in yourself as a director. Actually, I, I spoke about this on the last episode as well, but I just uh, wrote this article about reels and about. Uh, you know, introducing yourself as a director and telling people you're a director and actually added some stuff after Matt, after your notes, Matt, so that you might not recognize this. But I mentioned that you shouldn't just have like a Wix website, you know, without a domain, like some random domain name, like just get your name.com, you know, that, that you investing like $15 or $50 or $95 in yourself. Or uh, thousands. You need to be the first person or thousands, but like no one is going to, care about your directing career until you care about your directing career for sure and the other thing too is like with golden arm like in particular like that has that had that had a publicist the, sh- the movie had a publicist but having my own publicist you have someone that's looking out for you that like is promoting you and looking at your interests because the you know the movie's publicist which is great they care about the, the movie as a whole so they're going to pitch the whole movie but your personal publicist is going to pitch you yeah, and and in the case of Golden Arm, I don't think it's rude to say that you're not the pitch. Do you know what I mean? The story it, it's not like, oh, you know, a movie that you wrote and directed and it's about your life and it's starring your little sister, then the publicist could be for both you and the movie and it would be the essentially the same story, right? But but this is something where you had a hunch that like, you know, your name would maybe be in the story. Maybe they'd mention how good the directing is. But for the most part, they're talking about the movie stars and the concept and how funny it is and all that stuff. All the stuff that you are integral to, but that's not the lead, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, again, it was a, an investment and it really has paid off. And I think it is something that I would I would tell people to do. A hundred percent. It's just, it is a lot of money, but it, it's something that I think is, you just don't know the benefits until you do it. I mean, honestly, some of our best interviews on this podcast, I mean, none, none nearly as good as a Marine Baruch interview, but <laughs> some of the, our other good ones have been with DPs that have been pitched to us by publicists. So how crazy is that? that a is cinematographer crazy. that has a publicist to get people to know who they are. And they, they weren't like DPs that hadn't done anything. They had all done TV stuff. I mean, we had the DP of like 911, you know, we had a DP of um, End of the Fucking World. Um, yeah, we had really, really great DPs on the Carissa podcast. Carissa Dorson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Carissa, Andy. Anyway, so, well, great. Well, we had uh, quite a few other topics we were going to talk to you about, but clearly <laughs> we've run out of time. Well, Maureen, I know you've been so busy in com- compartmentalizing all your projects. You, I'm curious if you remember one of the most famous segments of the Just Shoot It podcast. It's called Unpaid Endorsements. Does that ring a bell? It does. Unpaid Endorsements. I'm so excited about my endorsement this week, you guys. Are you either of you familiar with the Instagram account, Siblings Are Dating? What? <laughs> no. It's so good. No. It is so good. It, a great icebreaker. Maureen, you're going to be like... 
like laughing it up at Video Village, like showing people. <sighs> kind of looking up now. It's great, you know. Like anyway, so basically, what it, it's it's super simple. It's just an Instagram feed that posts a photo of two people with the question: wait, wait. Is it called "Are they siblings or dating?" Siblings or dating? Yeah, yeah. All right, so so siblings are dating on Instagram. It'll show. I'm going to show you to a photo, for instance. The story is the most fun. So you see two people. They're approximately like the siblings, same age. Oren thinks they're siblings. Maureen, can you see? You think they're? I say they're dating. Dating. And so then in the story, they'll go through and they'll like kind of show close-ups of details. So like, like framing the eyes, and you'll see if the eyes are the same, or like. Like how they're touching one another. Is there a, a hand around a hip? Are they hugging? Stuff like that. And then a couple hours later, you'll get the answer. So, but if you if you're just in their regular feed, you'll get the answer instant gratification. So, uh, Oren, you said siblings. Maureen, you said dating. All right. So one of you two is going to be right. They are siblings. Oh, creepy. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's you can tell they're siblings because she's holding him on the head. Here's the so like, the fun of it. Is that that's not how you hold someone you're I'm like I'm right fifty percent of the time. The but it's so fun. You do sort of realize that people tend to date people they sort of look like, which look is weird. like, yeah. Super weird. And then also if the if there's something that's a little too intimate seeming, that probably means they're siblings because it's a bait and switch, basically. And you're like I see. Hey, don't you're, put your you found the matrix. Hand. You figured out the matrix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's so fun. So siblings are dating on Instagram. It uh, brightens your day every once in a while, and you know you can guess with the people around you. It's a great icebreaker, and um, okay, really, great. genuinely super fun. So that's my uh, my endorsement. Siblings are dating. It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty oh, good. man, it's good good bubble gum. I've been sitting on it for uh, this whole week. I'm so excited. You wanted to tell the whole Mine, world. Mine's magic. Mine's well, going to be so good that whatever Maureen endorses right now is just all right. So I should go next. Forget instantly. Okay, I'm going to say everybody should watch Good on Paper. My friend Kimmy Gatewood's movie that's on Netflix. I think it's like oh, yes. number two streaming right now. I saw an early screening of it. It's so funny. Kimmy's so talented. You guys should have her on the show. I don't know if you have her already or not, but. We've already had her on the show. Okay. Okay, Maureen. Okay, we I don't everyone we had, That episode um, was really good. And I'm trying to remember, Maureen, did you introduce us to Kimmy? I think I might. Maybe you I did. I did. He maybe did. She's popular. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. You don't need to just give people credit without them asking. <laughs> credit. I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. If you work on our short, we'll give you credit. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to endorse. I'm going to endorse Good on Paper because Kimmy's awesome and everybody should see it. And it's just really funny. It's fun. Well, cool. So, okay. Good on Paper. I'm going to watch it. Um, and my unpaid endorsement is you guys know Michael Arndt. Toy Story yes, 3. screenwriter behind uh, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Thank you. That's the one I was looking Toy for. Toy Story 3. Uh, he had, he has, I, I think it's his website company, pandemoniuminc.com. And I think I might have even endorsed before his series on story structure and stuff. He, he would give these lectures and they were kind of these like private things. And if you happen to go to a Michael Arndt lecture where he talks about how to crack the story code, you're lucky. And then he made this animated video and he put it on his website and basically taught kind of some story uh, detail, like like guides you through how he figured out Toy Story 3, how to make it good and teaches you about screenwriting. Well, he's released a new video about Toy Story 3 called Toy Story 3 Mistakes Made, Lessons Learned. It's so good. We'll put a link on our website. It's at pandemoniuminc.com. 
TS3 Mistakes Made Lessons Learned. And he he talks about the Pixar Pixar process, you know, the way they make films there where they write a first draft and then they storyboard it and then they screen it for everyone and then they get notes and they rewrite the draft and it's just the cyclical project where they keep improving the movie over and over. And he talks about why scenes worked and he'll show the first draft of the Pixar screening video and this is how Woody and Buzz met or this is what the the midpoint was and it everyone said it lagged for some reason and it's basically him going through figuring out how to solve all these problems and the takeaways from a screenwriting point of view. It's really, it's like an hour and a half video and it's just, it's just filled with so many amazing little details. Like, like he talks about the second act and what can make it feel long versus short. And he think he, his theory is that the midpoints of all the story arcs should be incredibly close to each other time-wise within a few seconds of each other, ideally, or like one event that kind of shifts all your six or seven different plot lines in different directions. He also talks about that with the resolution, which I've always really loved because he, he uses mm-hmm. Star Wars as the example, right? You know, like Luke destroys the Death Star, Han comes and saves the day, and and like they become best friends basically all in uh, 15 seconds, basically. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that's from one of his previous videos. I mean, there's so... They're so good. If anyone, if you're writing a screenplay, if you're working on a movie right now, it's just great because there's just such applicable takeaways from it. So um, I'm excited. I'll, I'll give a shout out to Yuki Naguchi, a DP I work with a lot, who sent me the link. He had sent me the original ones way back in the day, and he just sent me this new one a couple days ago. So thanks, Yuki. Well, congrats on everything. Golden Arm, Blu-ray coming out. Check out Edith. Check out... Maureen Barucha on Instagram. Yeah. M-A-U-R-E-E-N-B-H-A-R-O-O-C-H-A. Barucha. Check me um, out and just, you can get reminded that I'm doing stuff and then I'll get, you know, give me jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want to give Maureen a job in three years, uh, she's available for general <laughs> meetings. This week. Yeah. Uh, in August, To plant actually. those seeds now. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if she's too busy for a job, uh, Matt and I are yeah, available. Yeah. So. <laughs> or, or. Call, we'll give you a deal. <laughs> You know, she's too busy for a general. I'll take that, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, Maureen, thank you so much. Congrats on the movie. I hope we didn't keep you up too late. We know you're shooting tomorrow. Yes. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. But, uh, this was yeah, so fun. Thanks. If you want to hear more about what we talked about on the show, go to our website, justshootitpodcast.com, and we'll have everything in the show notes there. Uh, if you want to give us some comments, let us know about your thoughts. Let us know about what you agree with or disagree with what Maureen said, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us across all social media, which I highly encourage. Um, somebody told me they thought our, our podcast had a good social media presence the other day. Oh, so I was pretty excited nice. about that. So um, check us out. Instagram, Twitter. For some reason, our Instagram feed uh, has been reposting some of my personal posts, which has been pretty nice. Oh, look at that. Um, what a strange I don't know how that happened. Uh, you can follow me, speaking of that, uh, on Instagram. I'm at O'Kaplan. I'm on Twitter at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. Uh, leave us a voicemail at 262-SHOOT-1. This episode was generously edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Derek Aiello. And you're listening to music by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.